All right. We begin a what will be probably 10-year journey, and it all, all journeys begin with the first step. So today is step one in our journey through the book of Romans. We've already done, uh, what, three introductory messages, um, and hopefully we got everything kind of set up. We kind of laid a foundation, but today, today we began the book of Romans. Now, let's Let's just go ahead and do a couple of things before we uh, start digging in here and see. We're not going to get very far today, I can tell you that, um, because we're, we're getting ready to go verse by verse. So we're, I mean, we know that one verse could take six months, so just be prepared for that. Um, and just here, here's, again, I, I stated this before, let me state it again. The danger with uh, verse by verse is everyone may be excited on day one of verse by verse, no one's excited two months into verse by verse, okay? Because sometimes two months into verse by verse, we're how many verses in? One, okay? <laughs> so we can be two verses in, and, and then nobody cares. Uh, and then at that point, it, then it, it becomes like, okay, what are we accomplishing? That's why many pastors don't do this. They, they, they either, they'll say they're going verse by verse, and verse by verse means what? It means they cover an entire book in a month. Well, that's not really verse by verse. So, so we're going to try this. We'll see how well it goes. And then, uh, but uh, the, the, my, the agenda, the, the whatever is planned can change based on how I feel that it is going because uh, I, I want it to be productive. Now I've got people who are listening online who they want to ensure that I don't stop. They've already sent me multiple messages like, no, don't stop because we want all of it. So um, some of it for selfish reasons, because they're getting ready to start teaching the book of Romans and they want, they want, they want me to get a head start on them. Okay, all right. so, uh, but I'm like, yeah, my head start will be, give me 10 years and then I'll be on verse two. Okay, so we'll see. But let's go ahead and just establish this. Obviously in Sunday school, we're studying the canons of Dort. We started with a historical background this morning. Uh, if everything goes as planned, we'll, we'll turn to that this evening just because I want to get the background out of the way, okay? And, and my mind is so consumed with all the uh, historical information, I want to make sure I get it out there. And so we'll try to do that tonight. But one of the reasons we are dealing with the canons of Dort is not only because uh, 2019 is the 400 year anniversary, is because a lot of the things discussed at the Synod and the canons of Dort are going to have a direct connection to the book of Romans. Therefore, it makes sense to look at them together. All right, it just, it makes sense. So let me say this. In the book of Romans, we're gonna come across passages that are going to be very difficult to understand, and unless you're just pretending, uh, they're going to be controversial. And we're going to have to work through them. So I have stated now, I think in every introductory message, that a key verse, I told everyone um, on Wednesday when we, did, we complete, completed uh, the overview, is that at the front of your Bible, wherever you have room, for the book of Romans, you should write down, does anybody remember? 2 Peter chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 really quick. I'm probably going to read this every single time we start our study on Romans until you have it memorized, okay? 2 Peter chapter 3. Everybody there? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. Wherefore, we won't go all the way back and go through everything, but wherefore? Beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord 
is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, implying that Paul had written something to do with the subject of salvation. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Now stop right there. So we can already, before we even read one verse in the book of Romans, probably count on this idea. There's going to be things in them that are hard to understand. Even Peter acknowledged that. Under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even Peter's acknowledging that. Well, if Peter can acknowledge there's things in them that are hard to understand, then all of us have to understand that we're getting ready to read a book that's going to contain things that are hard to understand. So we have to approach it with a little bit of humility and a willingness to work. Now, why is this so important to understand? Because how has some people handled the hard to understand things? Look carefully at verse 16 of 2 Peter 3. Which they that are unlearned and unstable unlearned, unskilled. Now that's why we did that whole talk about meat and milk Christian, spiritual and carnal, right? If you're not of the spiritual mindset, if you're not skilled in the Word of God, if you are unlearned, then you need to be very careful before you start arguing about the book of Romans because what you could be doing is rest or wrestle as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Let's not be people who are wrestling the scriptures to our own destruction simply because we are unstable and unlearned and we want to start arguing about a book where there are things hard to be understood. Let's not be those kinds of people. Agreed? Let's be humble. Let's be careful. Let's be um, diligent and let's do our best to be prepared to study this book. Is that a good way to start? All right. Romans chapter 1. Everybody ready? Okay, typically what I would do when I start a book is I would give you an outline of the whole chapter. But I'm not going to do that. Here's the reason why. I can give you an outline of the whole chapter, but before we even get, it'll be six years before we get done with the first section. So by the time we get to the second section, you're not going to remember what the second section was. So here's what we'll do. We'll build the outline as we work through the chapter. And then when we're done with the chapter, we'll review the outline. All right, the first challenge in Romans chapter 1 is this, all right? The first, there is some dispute here on how this first section should be broken down. Many see verse 1 through 7 kind of as a salutation, right? And then they'll say verse 8 to maybe 14 or to 15, yeah, to 15 um, 8 to 15 as kind of Paul's personal greeting. They'll kind of separate it. We're not going to separate it. I'm going to argue that chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 1, verse 15, we're going to say is the introduction. All right? Now, the only dispute is, and I challenge you on Wednesday to figure this out, does 16 belong with the first 15 verses or should it be separated? Well, whether it should be separated or not, I want us to do this. We're going to build this whole sermon this morning 
because, by starting with verse 16. Right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It will make sense before I am done. Trust me. All right? If it doesn't, just pretend that it does. Okay? All right? Okay, not, not really, but here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Everyone here knows Romans 1, 16. You're told from like the second day you become a Christian to memorize it. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul is speaking. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now let's stop right there. Paul wants the people he's writing to in Rome. Remember we talked about who he's writing to, correct? Yeah, everybody remember that in the overview? Yes? Okay, all right. All right, I hope so. All right. Um, he is writing to them and he wants them to know he's not ashamed of something. And what is he not ashamed of? The gospel. Now, we're going to get into a lengthy discussion over this word. Euangelion, I think, is the Greek word. Okay. We're, we're going to get into a lengthy discussion. But simply put, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he is not saying he's not ashamed of. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, that's not how the term, term is being used. He is not ashamed of, let's, a simple way to put this, the message of salvation. The gospel is the message, the news. Some would call it the good news of God's salvation. He is not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of this message. And why is he not ashamed? For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the message of salvation contained in the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is power within this message of the gospel to bring about salvation. Now when we speak of salvation, what are we referencing? Salvation is usually what? Well, some other words that would go with the idea of salvation. A deliverance? To be saved from something horrible? Right? So it's to be delivered. It's to be saved. The, this gospel has the power of God unto salvation. He's not ashamed of it. Because there's probably a tendency that some may be ashamed or don't want to be associated with it. And it's like, don't be associated with it. It's the power of God unto salvation. And who is it for? Well, look carefully at the passage. Okay. It's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. To anyone who believes. If you don't believe, there is no power of the gospel unto salvation. You must believe it. If you believe, there is the power of God unto salvation. But to make sure he is specific, this message, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe, and then he gets very specific... Number one, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Jew and Gentile alike. The gospel is a message of salvation where the power of God is involved to the Jew and the Gentile. There is power in it. Now, I want to start with that. And the reason I want to start with that is because, listen, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, gives us something that demonstrates the power of the gospel. 
The power of the gospel is seen in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And it is seen in this way. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul uses four identifiers. He uses four identifiers to identify himself. I told everyone on Wednesday to find them. I also in a number of other things I posted on the app, I told everyone to find these things. I said to find all four. All right. So what is the first identifier used in Romans chapter 1 of, to, that Paul uses to describe himself? Okay. Paul. Paul's the first word. That's an identifier. No, it absolutely is an identifier. Okay, now, he identifying himself as Paul. That is, if you don't understand the significance of that, then we, you obviously forgot his story. Was his name always Paul? His very name is a living example of the power of the gospel unto salvation for a Jew. Right? Let's, let's remind ourselves a little bit of, of, our, 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 of, of Paul here, right? Let's go back to his past. Go to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul describing his past. All right, everybody ready, ready there? All right. Let's go back to verse 4 so that we have context. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul speaking of himself, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he, that he hath, where, whereof he might trust in the flesh I more. Simply put, if someone's going to trust in what they could do or what they are, I could trust in myself more than anyone. Well, Paul, why, why do you think you could trust in your flesh and what you did more than anyone? Well, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. And I know, I know when I was circumcised and I know what tribe I'm a part of. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, blameless. Okay, he, he is like, hey, I was following the law. I was blameless from a fleshly human perspective. I was righteous. I was the example to follow. And I was persecuting the church. Paul, before he becomes Paul, was Saul. And he was a religious Jew who followed all the rules and involved in that was persecuting and having Christians or involved in possibly the imprisonment and killing of Christians. Okay, let's read a little bit more about his past to get an idea of what was going on. Go to um, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Everybody there? It's, it's just funny, when you listen to a lot of modern day preaching, you don't do this, because they just summarize the account, uh, instead of actually having everyone 
look up the account. It's really what separates the difference of a lot of preaching today. Um, so part of me now feels like you're supposed to just summarize it, but I still think that as Christians we should open up our Bibles and turn and look at it. I, I just still, I think, uh, considering how much biblical illiteracy is currently in the world, okay, I think maybe we should stop summarizing as pastors and have people actually go back and look at the text. I know that you're kind of taught summarize it because it keeps the, the narrative flowing, but our job here is to see what the scriptures say, correct? So that's what we're going to do. All right, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. All right, we have uh, Stephen here, right? Okay, he is uh, speaking, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. All right, so obviously uh, Stephen is showing everyone how to, uh, you know, make friends and influence people. He's uh, telling you how to, you know, uh, make sure everyone likes you as a preacher. Um, that, that's pretty mean, isn't it? Wow, that's kind of, that's hate speech in 2019, all right? Why, which of the prophets have your fathers, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of, of the just one, of whom you have, uh, have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Whoa, he's going all in. I mean, you've killed people, you, you killed the Holy One, you basically, you've killed the Messiah. I mean, you, you guys are just, you're not good. All right. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Okay, that's always a bad sign as a preacher when everyone rushes you and gnashes on you with their teeth. Okay, all right. We know that could be a more figurative way, but um, you get the idea. That's, um, let's just say the people were what? Very angry. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. We could get all day talking about the significance of that, if there's significance of that, because there's been entire, there's entire doctrinal system based off that verse, but we won't get into that. Verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They don't even want to listen. No, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Like a little kid, right? They don't even want to hear, right? And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul is present and there at the stoning and the murdering of Stephen. He is a Jew. He is zealous. He's, per, he's involved in the persecuting of the church. And he is there at least present as a witness, is there He's not obviously against it. The, the death of someone who is trying to preach to the Jews the message of God. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul, there he is again, right? And what is he doing? He's consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen uh, to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for, he did what? He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing, uh, uh, women committed them to prison. Here is, he identifies himself as Paul, and anyone who knows his past 
knows that Paul, the very name Paul, is significant because it indicates that the gospel has power to turn a religious Jew who's persecuting Christians whose confidence for their salvation is in their own personal righteousness into Paul. Now a follower of Jesus Christ who is not counting on his righteousness based on what he can do, but counting on a righteousness that has been provided to him by Christ. There's a transformation that takes place. Now, we all know. So there, there's a little bit of his past, just so that, I mean, everyone should know the story. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He, he's still killing people. He's still having people killed. He's still committing people to prison. I mean... He's not doing very good. Would we agree? All right. Um, he, he, he goes unto the high priest, and what does he desire of him? Letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them uh, bound unto Jerusalem. He's like, he wants the authority to, I'll, I'll go get anybody. Give me the authority. I'll go find anyone who's a part of Christianity, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to get rid of them. Right? He wants them wiped out. He wants them gone. Well, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why per persecutest thou me? All right? And we see here what we call the conversion story, right? The conversion story, and we find out that not only has he... Uh, he is transformed and he has changed. His name has changed from Saul to Paul. He becomes Paul. All right. So when I open up Romans 1.1 and I, Paul identifies himself as Paul, that is telling me that he is really setting himself up first and foremost. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of the God unto salvation. And how does he know it's the power of God unto salvation? He is experienced and is an example of it. He has experienced it. He is an example of it. I cannot stress this enough. Now, let me stop right here because we need to have a very important conversation here. All right. Within the history of Christianity, within the history of Christianity, there has grown a, um, over time, a, an emphasis on the conversion stories that look like Paul. Right? If, like, everyone loves the conversion story of, I was a gang member who killed eight people, now I'm a pastor. Whoa. Put him on every Christian radio broadcast we can find. Give, make him a conference speaker, pay him millions of dollars, write a book, we'll make a movie. That's some awesome stuff right there, right? Oh, you know, oh, she was a prostitute. Now she's a faithful wife with two children who homeschools her children. Man, get her on focus on the family tomorrow, right? That's good stories. That's awesome stories, right? We love those conversion stories. Now, I understand why everybody loves those conversion stories because they're exciting and they're like, see, there's the power of the gospel. The only problem is, 
it causes a mindset to think the power of the gospel is only present in the lives of people who go from horrible to something different. And they don't even have to go from horrible to perfect. This, I mean, I mean, the worse you are off, any change looks dramatic, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a gang member killing people and you just stop killing people, hey, you're a winner, okay, right? It looks different. The only problem is there are millions of people, okay, especially, and this is what happens to kids raised in a Christian home, um, they don't have that dramatic conversion story. They almost have to drop out of Christianity, go do a lot of bad stuff, and then think, okay, now, now, now I know what conversion is. So they sit there, and there can be sometimes a confusion about, well, where's my conversion story? All right? I want to make sure we understand this. The power of the gospel unto salvation is a conversion because every person, no matter what their external... Was Paul, do, Paul was killing Christians, so we think, oh, murderer, too, too wonderful. But from, an, from a moral standpoint, it was righteous. It was godly. The power of the gospel to salvation is a conversion of sinners by nature who are rebels against God to lovers of God who care, who are passionate, and who are following him. What we have a tendency to do is speak of conversion in terms of external actions. So when you speak to a kid raised in a Christian home, especially if that Christian home is like, you know, like a lot of rules and they can't do a lot of stuff, then they, their view of, they, they just, they, they walk away thinking, well, I've got to be saved because I don't do all this bad stuff. Salvation is not a conversion from doing bad to, do, to quote unquote doing good, it's a conversion of someone who doesn't care about the things of God, dead to the things of God, have no love for God, have no desire for God, to someone now who loves God, passionate for God, consumed with God, and counts all things loss, dung, okay, for the glory of God, for the things of God. That's conversion. It doesn't mean you have to go from being a gang member or a member of the mafia or a, or a serial killer to being good. No! The kid raised in a Christian home, the conversion is, well, I think I'm a Christian because my mom and dad says I'm a Christian and, oh, I don't, do, I don't drink and I don't smoke. Who cares that you don't drink and you don't smoke? Nobody's impressed! Conversion. Conversion. Do you love God? Do you have a passion for God? The power of God is conversion. It's a change. Paul's change is external. Right? Is it very external? Oh, there's the guy who used to kill Christians. Now he's the guy teaching Christians. Right? Oh, okay. But the conversion is not because he went from a killer to a follower, the conversion was he went from someone who did not trust, believe, and love the Messiah, didn't even understand the Messiah come, to someone who was willing to lay down his life for him. He was willing to die for it. It's not like, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay, congratulations. Like, what does that even mean? I need to see, did conversion happen? 
And a lot of kids raised in a Christian home, it's hard to help them understand that, right? They're hard for them to understand that because they just like think, well, you know, I believe this stuff. Where's the big change? Well, if the big change is you're going to know a big change happened. But sometimes they have a hard time seeing the big change. They're like, because, well, all the pe people I know who claim to be Christians, they're about as apathetic as I am. Well, if, if, if all they ever see is apathy from, say, their parents, then they don't know anything different than apathy. they got to see passion and zeal and hunger for the things of God. If they see that, then they're going to go, okay, maybe that's the sign of conversion. Maybe. But a lot of them will just live a life of, of spiritual apathy and deadness, still thinking that they are what? Saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Something happens. The first identifier identifies it. When I say, when I, when I read Paul, I'm like, oh, wait, he was Saul. And what do we know about Saul? A religious Jew who looked righteous in every way, shape, or possible, right? I mean, he brags about how righteous he was. I mean, most people don't, aren't willing to brag about, hey, I was it. I could, I could have had confidence in my own righteousness. But he throws away his confidence in his own righteousness because he realized that he needed a righteousness that was not his own. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, just the conversion of Paul screams Romans 1.16. Does everybody understand that? Romans 1.16 becomes evident in Romans 1.1 with the very first word of the text. Paul. The conversion of Paul, listen, is the practical outworking of the doctrinal impl implications of Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. Paul is the external example of the doctrinal truth laid out in Romans 1 to chapter 11. Does that make sense? Romans 1 through 11 is going to give you the doctrinal implications of salvation, right? All right. Well, guess what? That can become very academic, can it not? Academic. Okay. Let's make sure we have all of our doctrines of salvation. There is a, it's, the book starts off by saying, no, this doctrinal implication, here's how it played out in the life of Paul. Paul. Paul is the living example of it. So when, you, when we're done with Romans, if you can sit back and go, well, you know what? I now can get an A on a theology test or a soteriology test. That's not the point. Now, I want you to get an A on the soteriology test that I'll probably give you. Okay, But what I really want is for the power of the gospel to be seen not just in your knowledge, but in your life. Can you say... And, and this is a real question. Can you honestly say, there was a time I was a Saul, an unbeliever, who rejected the things of God, and there became a time that I became a Paul, passionate and considered everything else loss but God. Now, I'm not saying you go from a murderer. Again, you're, you're going to start thinking in testimony times, all the testimonies you've heard in churches. I'm not asking, can you pinpoint, because that's when, when you're taught, I don't know if you were ever taught, but in, in some fundam, independent fundamental Baptist churches and Southern Baptist churches, you're taught in many evangelism programs how to give your testimony. 
right? How to give your testimony. Because here's the way they argue. Well, instead of having a philosophical argument, they can't argue with your story. Now, I always argue, well, Muslims have stories and Mormons have, everyone has conversion story. So, you know, like, I, I don't really know how that ever wins. But, but because, you know, let's have, let's have a, let's do a, let's do a practical story instead of a philosophical one. I mean, imagine the church thinking that way. I mean, well, I'm shocked that the church wouldn't want to think in a deeper way. But that, that's a whole different story. But here's the thing. When you're taught to do your, your testimony, what do you want to emphasize at the beginning? How bad you were. And then you want to emphasize how dramatic the change was. Right? And, and, they, and, and you focus on the bad and the, and the good by the externals, right? The externals. The power of God into salvation is a conversion of the heart. Someone who doesn't care about God, a God-hater, a God-denier, a God, a God an, apathy, an apathy to God, just don't care. To someone who's like, that's my purpose. That's my life. That's my existence. That's my, that's my next breath. That's my food. That's everything. If you cannot pinpoint that you went from apathy to change, you didn't experience conversion. You're like, but I'm a good person and I feel bad. I don't care. That's religion. Religion can make you feel bad. Religion can give you a life of morality. Some of your kids who may reject Christianity still will hold to certain forms of morality. Why? They still may be the kid. They don't believe in Christianity, but they'll come to your house and they'll go like, did you hear what so-and-so did? And you're like, well, why are you speaking so judgmental and condemning? Well, I cannot believe that they would do that, and I can't believe she did that, and I can't... Oh, did you see how she was dressed? And you're like... You, you sometimes all you create is religious snobs. I don't need religious snobs. What you want is a converted heart. Does that make sense? But they, because the, the religion gives them a morality. Conversion is something different. And it's to everyone that believes, Jew or Gentile. It, and, and I will go so far, we, sh we should almost add, it goes to everyone who believes it doesn't matter how bad or good you were. Because by your very nature, you're a sinner. And the true change is your, is your attitude towards God. Your I'll give you an example. On Christian radio yesterday, I, 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 almost, threw, I almost threw everything that I owned. I, I, just, I just almost lost complete control and just, I just gave up. Like, I, I'm done with Christianity. Like, I, just, I can't take it anymore. Some lady calls in to the Christian radio station for prayer, right? For this lady she knows. Now, the lady she knows is lost. So she wants prayer for the, for the, for the, for the lady who's not. Okay, this story is so just messed up. Okay, so this lady is lost, right? So she calls and she wants prayer. I think her name was Joan. Okay, whatever. Pray, we want, I want people to pray for Joan. Uh, this woman I know, she's lost. But, you know, her hunger for the word of God convicts me. Okay, wait. So the lost person you want me to pray for has more hunger for the word of God than you do as a Christian. 
Does anybody understand? Like, I want to call to the Christian radio station. Like, I think we need to pray for the caller. I think maybe the woman she's praying for, <laughs> maybe conversion has happened to her. Maybe we need to pray for the woman. Like, I wanted to just go, maybe you should stop taking phone calls. That's what you should do. Or screen them. Or something. Or warn me that they're going to happen. Okay, because I'm going to have seizures. But does, do you see how just weird that is? And that's how sometimes Christians are. They have, they like, I'm a Christian. I don't really care about the things of God. And, you know, I got other things to do. And I got other priorities. And blah, 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 blah. Okay, but, but, my, my coworker's lost. Maybe you should look into yourself. Because where's your conversion? It's power. Power. Of God unto salvation. Paul was changed, was he not? Where's our change? If, if we don't get that, then we should just, we should just stop Romans now. Because if we're going to read Romans to be able to see how smart we are about soteriology, we're missing the point. It's the power of God unto salvation. All right, there's the first identifier. What's the second identifier? A servant. Very good, man. Y'all are good. Okay. Or you've figured out that they're all right there. Okay. Paul, number two, a servant. A servant. Okay, there's a lot of dispute over this word. A servant. So let's, uh, let's try to take this apart and let's see how we want to break this down. Okay, I've got, I've got two commentaries here. They got their approach. Everyone seems to have approach to this word, um, but let's take a look at it. Anybody know the Greek word for servant? Doulos, doulos. Uh, the Greek word here is used according, uh, the KJV translation count is 127 times. All right, that's bad. <laughs> For what reason? Well, if we truly want to get an understanding, it's good, but it's bad, because do we really want to go reading all 127 uses of the word? In some cases, I would say we need to, but I don't think we need to in this particular case, all right? Um, according to this, it's translated in the King James, uh, servant, 120 times, um, bond, six times, and bond man, one time. So servant is the primary way it's used. A servant. Okay, how do we understand this term? Here are a couple of ways we can understand it. You ready? Number one, a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition. All right, that's not a lot of help. That idea of a slave, that's where it becomes disputed. All right? There are some Christians who don't like that idea slave. They don't like it. They think the, the term slave carries a very harsh, because you're, you're, you're made a slave not by choice, but by force. There's harsh treatment. And they're like, that's not... Paul can't be referring to him as a slave in that way. So then they kind of want to modify it. Like, well, what, what is he referring to? Well, let's see if we get any other ideas. Here's another description. One who gives himself up to another's will. Okay, one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. 
The basic idea there is you give up yourself to the will of someone else. You are a servant giving up your will to the service of someone else. Okay, that has a little bit more positive bent onto it, doesn't it? Right? Because it kind of gives you that you're doing it. All right? So you, you see why some people would like that. No, another, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Another understanding is servant or attendant. Servant or attendant. All right. Here's what we want to do here. I don't want to get in, like I said, I could go all day on trying to make an argument here about how we should understand it. What, here's the key. Paul identifies himself as Paul, which then demonstrates to me the power of the gospel, right? Because Paul is an example of someone who was a Saul, who became a Paul, and it challenges me to look at where is conversion truly taking place in my life. And that conversion doesn't have to just be on external things. It's an internal conversion. I go from someone who doesn't love God to someone who loves God. I may not love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, but there's a never-dying love there that cannot be taken away. It doesn't end. Does that make sense? That's Saul to Paul. Now Paul turns around and says, okay, I became Paul but I am a servant. I am a servant. Whether we get into an argument, should this be understood in the Hebrew way? Should this be understood in the Roman way? Should this be, there's all kinds of disputes. And I got commentaries here that will argue both ways. And I could sit here and read you the commentaries and sound really smart. Here's what we, let's just try to figure out at its very basic level, when Paul identifies himself as a servant, He's once again, here's what I want you to realize, is demonstrating to you the power of the gospel. Because the power of the gospel unto salvation is a salvation that turns people into, listen, self-servers to Christ-servers. Before conversion, Whose interest is most paramount in your mind? Your own. What do you care to do? To please yourself. What is your focus on yourself? Conversion turns a person who used to worry about self into a person who is now, what was the, the definition? Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. So let me ask you, in any meaningful way, are you a servant of Christ? You disregard your own interest for the things of God. You're like, here's what I want to do, but man, what I want to do, that could impact church, that could impact this. Whew. I may need to disregard my own interest because my, my service is to God. My focus is to serve God, not to serve self. This is what we kind of do. We kind of say, all right, I'm a Christian. Hey, but God, I, I got to fit in some other things. 
Remember, I've said it before. I've talked to many Muslims when, when I was at Grace University and we had to go to a mosque uh, to, to attend an Islamic service. And uh, um, it, was always, it was hilarious because the women were, you know, they, they couldn't be a part of the main service. They had to be behind a curtain. I, I thought that was funny. I was like, That's, we should do that in church. Okay. No, no, obviously we shouldn't because it's typically women who answer here. So actually, we shouldn't do that here. We should just move the men to the back. Okay. All right. So, but, so we do it opposite here. But, so the women were all mad in class because they were like, what, is, what kind of garbage is this? I'm like, okay, like, oh, it's, you know, Islam is not so nice here. Okay. But I never forget that then we, we were sitting around. And we were discussing Islam, and he was giving us the pillars of Islam, and we we're having a good discussion. He was telling us what they believe about Jesus. You know, he's a prophet of Muhammad. Okay, we were going through. You know, we were going through all the different things. Okay, and I'll never forget. He goes, "The difference between you and me, Islam is our life. Christianity is a hobby." We'll die. For Allah. You can't be bothered to show up to church. We'll die for Allah. You won't read your Bible. We'll pray seven times a day. You won't show up to a prayer meeting. Now, I know what all Christians say. Well, that's a false religion, and they're just brainwashed. And, and oh, I got all kinds of excuses, and it doesn't count, and, and I don't need to be convicted by it. Or maybe you should go, well, wait a minute. Maybe they're being a servant of Allah. And we got into Christianity think God is there to serve us. And how do pastors preach Christianity today? God is there to serve you. Are you a servant in any meaningful way? Do you show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that my interest is disregarded? I disregard my interest because my interest is not as important as God's. Now, I understand. You still have to live in a world. You still have a work. You still have responsibilities. No one is denying that. But it means that even your job, even your work is done to go, how can I use this to better serve God? Your work should be an opportunity to minister, to serve. You should use whatever you're doing for God. If whatever you're doing for God becomes something that is taking away from God and there's a way to work around it, then you work around it. Like I've said it so many times. Do you think on a Saturday night, I would, go, I would want to go to work at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night and work till 6 o'clock Sunday morning simply so that I could not have to go to work on Sunday for four hours. Hey, we're going to meet at, uh, we have to be at the hospital on Sunday. We've got to work for four hours and, and catch up on some paperwork. I have church. Now, did I say, I have church. Therefore, I can't come. No, I didn't do that. I'd be like, yes, sir. And then when the meeting broke, I would go to the boss and say, hey, um, I don't want you to do anything for me because my faith is not your problem. But I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to miss church. So here's the deal. I'll come in Saturday night at 6. I'll work 12 hours. So that I can 
not show up for Sunday for four. I said, you give me a list of things to do. They will all be done. Every T will be crossed. Every I will be dotted. And I will leave here Sunday morning with a complete report of everything I completed. I'd show up Saturday night. Boom. Listen to sermons. Do whatever. Work, 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 work. Get off at 6 in the morning. Go to church. Now, you're like, well, had nothing to do with being more spiritual than anybody. I'm just as ungodly as all of you. The difference is, Whose interest is supposed to matter? As a Christian, I'm not, I don't attend church. You don't attend church as a Christian. You are the church. When you're not here, the church is missing. Okay, you're not, you don't, I, well, I'm just, I, I'm too, you are the church. If you're not here, the church is missing. You can make 9,000 excuses or you can say the interest of God. In fact, how is this supposed to work? The church is what? The bride. You're supposed to give up your interest for the bridegroom. But when you're like, no, oh, this is something I'm going to do. This is something I want to do. This is something I'm going to do. I, I can't do it. I can't do it because it's going to get away in way of church you got to disregard and again church is just one example but there's millions of them now I understand there's times guess what there were times in the military I had no choice I had to miss right you know what you do you say yes sir you show up and guess what I'm going to do while I'm at work I'm going to hopefully work in a way that will glorify God and then look for every opportunity to do what so we got some time to talk so what's going on in your life let's talk Let's see if I can get this conversation to something that matters. Let's see if I can get past, you know, talking about other people. Let's see if I can get an actual conversation about something dealing with philosophy, something done, and then maybe get the opportunity to do what? Present the gospel, because whose interest is, am I serving? You're like, you're serving the interest of your employer. No, I'm serving the interest of my God. And guess what? That's wonderful news for my employer, my employee or my employer, because... When I serve God, I will be a better employee. Now, sometimes you can't help. Sometimes you can't help missing. But you, when you miss, you miss only because there's no other option. And you're, and you're still there to serve the interest of God. And it's not just church. It's the Bible, sermons, studying, thinking, serving people. Are you a servant? And any man, like if you just take the, the very, the very, Let's not even go with the word slave. Let's not even go with that word, okay? Because that even draws a draw. Like, you don't even have a choice. Clearly, you all have choices, right? So, right? Okay, so let's just go through two questions, and we'll end right here. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Question number one. Have you felt, experienced the power of the gospel unto salvation? Has there been a conversion? A meaningful conversion. Only you know if there has. I cannot speak for you. I cannot speak for you. And I would just like to make this very well known that the book of Romans also has a history of pastors preaching through the book of Romans and the pastors realizing that they're not converted. So, there's a good possibility there could be people here this morning who've never been converted even though you've been coming to church. All right? Amen? And that, that, that's made people uncomfortable, but hey, I mean, 
Like the power of God unto salvation. I didn't write it, did I? There's power. Is there? God, there's got to be something that happens. There's got to be something that happens. There's got to be, there, there's something that changes inside of us. Like, you know, like where Christ matters. Like, like I don't want to be told by a Muslim that, that Christianity is a hobby. No, it's not my hobby. And if it's your hobby, then you're not a Christian. You're pretending. Okay, that's not, the early, the early church didn't die as martyrs for you to have a hobby. Okay, they died because Christ was everything. We all sh we should be convicted by that. So have we had our Saul to Paul experience? Again, I'm not saying you went from a murderer to, no, I'm not saying that. It's about an internal transformation where you count all things but loss. Agreed? Okay. Number two. Are you a servant? Do you disregard your own interest for the interest of God? You just experienced a seven-day week, right? Today's Sunday? From last Sunday to this Sunday. Where did you demonstrate you're a servant of God? In any meaningful way? Where, where were you disregarding your interest? Now, I don't, say, I don't state that like I've got it all figured out because if there's anyone here who have interest, I have a million interest. Okay? I have a million interest. Okay? Just, just name a subject and I can spend 18 years on said subject. I have ne I don't under, I've never experienced, I don't know what boredom is. I think that's a made up word. Okay? I've never experienced, I don't even know what that feels like. How can, I don't even understand how that can even humanly possibly happen. Because every day I'm consumed with, oh, what about this? Oh, wait, what about the, oh, wait, what about the, oh, wait, what about this? Oh, wait, 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 I can't stop. Stop my brain. And everything is not just like a hobby. No, I don't believe in hobbies. I don't have hobbies. I have passions. I have, like, I am consumed by everything. It doesn't matter what, I'll hear y'all say something. I'll be like, oh, wait, wait, what book was that? Okay. I can walk by one of the kids and they'll have a book. Joel, have, I'm like, wait, what book is? Let me go look that book up. Okay, I gotta read. Like, let me, I'll write. Like when I was, we were sitting here singing, and I opened up my, my uh, Kindle, and of course that I'm that I'm made for this because the Kindle always gives you an advertisement for a book, which is just like a, a sin, right? It's like it's like drugs, and I'm like, and so every time I see one, I'm like, oh, let me write that one down. Let me write that one down. Let me write that one down. I, I start, so every time I open it, I write, I write down another book. And I'm like, okay. So now, like, for, <clears throat> for tonight, I have, like, 12 books I need to buy. Well, that means I'm not going to sleep. So I'm going to read at least 10 of them tonight. Okay? That's my own interest. So I'm not here saying I've got it figured out. Okay? Because I've got interest. Right? But I have to do everything I can to do what? To disregard my interest for what? So every time I record, or every time I do a live devotional, Twilight is usually listening, like, I always, that, like, I'm not doing that because I'm spiritual. I'm doing that disregarding what I want to be doing, okay? Like, I'm literally fighting against my own flesh. My own flesh is like, wait a minute, okay. Oh, I need to do, oh, wait, I need to do, oh, man, 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 man. I got 30 things I want to do today. How am I going to do? I only got 24 hours, man. Like who made up a 24-hour clock? I need a 50-hour clock, okay? And I don't need any. I can, I can, sleep is, is optional, so I can make it. But 
even in those 50 hours, I'm still focused on my, so I'm right there with the struggle. Now, I've just figured out if I do it without sleep, then it's easier to pull off. That's the, see, I came up with that solution, right? Right? If I don't sleep, then I got, I got nine hours I can dedicate to God. Bang! I win! No, nobody likes my option? Okay, all right. The point is, you've got to disregard what? Your own interest, because you are a servant. Paul, it's brilliant. Romans 1 is showing you the power of the gospel and the salvation. It's genius. It's brilliant. Remember what I always say about movies? The opening scene, right? The opening verse right here is setting it all up. You want to see the power of the gospel? Here is someone who was a Saul, who became a Paul, who became a servant, who became an apostle, who was separated unto the God. There we go. Those identifiers demonstrate the power of the gospel. Well, we'll get back to that next Sunday. All right? We'll stop. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, everyone here, I hope everyone here understands the the convicting nature of what we just looked at, but it's really a challenge for us. We, that the, if the power of the gospel is unto salvation, Lord, I pray that everyone here can honestly say that we've been touched by it in some way, and somehow there's been something that's happened, and if we haven't experienced it, we need to question what, why. Because according to Romans 1, the, it's, the flaw is not in the gospel. The lack of power for change is not in the gospel, it's in us. And Lord, we have to assure that we believe and that we understand that, that, that the power of the gospel will bring salvation. It will change us to some level. Um, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as a murderer to, a, to a, an apostle, but it's still a dramatic change inside. And I pray that we can all say that. And Lord, I pray that, it, we, that you forgive us for probably disregarding your interest for our own. We probably did it this week. There's a chance we'll do it this afternoon. There's a good chance we'll do it tonight. And I know we'll struggle with it starting Monday. I pray that this would be something that we would struggle with and how to find the right balance and to live a life where we show ourselves to be servants. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,